0: what's up y'all you're listening to the extra point college football podcast i'm your host jake carnes joined as always by my co-host daniel hammock daniel another week some more picks on on the docket so i mean we're ready I mean, it's it's the big leagues now. It just means more because we're talking about the SEC East.
1: Man, we've been waiting. Honestly, I mean, I've had to do my research for all these other leagues, but I know the SEC. So, you know, it's almost like the uh, it's time for dessert because we're about to, you know, start the season. Uh, we're gonna do the SEC picks here. Last last conference to go. We made some meaningless picks in the uh, the Big Ten and the Pac-12, but whatever, no big deal. Um, we had to do some re-racks for the ACC and the Big 12, respectively, but luckily we had saved the SEC for last anyways, so these are some fresh, never-before-seen, you know, picks.
0: We picked picked four of the five Power Five conferences twice. We've only had to do the SEC once, so we saved it for last, and right as we got to the SEC, everything happened so <laughs> we're finally to the sec the conference you and i follow the closest living here in metro atlanta we live in the footprint yep capital of the sec so i mean let's just get right down to it we're gonna pick from from top to bottom we'll dive into each team uh more than we did the past few teams just because we had already had podcasts where we kind of dug into each team before you know making these repicks for the other conferences but This is the first time we're hitting the SEC, so we're doing it in two episodes. Uh, This one right here, we're doing the SEC East, so let's just start at the top. And A hot pick this year is the Florida Gators, right? I mean, it's just the—and I I somewhat understand why you'd want to start there with everything Georgia lost on offense. Jake Fromm was the starter for the last three years when Georgia took their step forward from the national championship Game in 2017 through last year, so three straight SEC East titles. But I mean, we're sticking with Georgia at the top, and I want I want to hear what you got to say, and I'll follow up with my thoughts on why we're picking Georgia to stay at the top of the SEC East.
1: Well, uh, one of the main things is, you know, the 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 struggle for last year was offense. The 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 you know strength of the team last year was defense, and what is that defense return? You know eight quote-unquote starters. But more importantly, I mean, you've got 12 guys back who are, you know, played more than 130 snaps. You've got the whole defensive staff back. Not one person lost from that group. You've just got so much continuity back. You've got a – I think they had – last year during the season, they played 37 players on defense um, of at least 100 snaps. So – uh, you know, and some of that's going to be special teams, but you've got guys who've just been vested in this program. They added talent on top of talent, bringing in some, you know, five-star players. You got you know, Keely Ringo, a defensive back. He'll be actually out for the first little bit. You got defensive lineman uh, Jalen Carter. So you just got some guys who can be impact players, but they're not going to have to be. So th- this defense really is. We're going to start and end there. You know, that's going to be the main talking point for why Georgia's really going to stay where they are and then flip it on the other side. Hey, where where were you struggling last year? Offense. Well, what do you get to replace and try again with? Offense. They're going to have a new coordinator in Todd Monken. They keep all the same position coaches otherwise, uh, excuse me, holding over from the, from the bowl game because Matt Luke took over on the offensive line, formerly the head coach of Ole Miss. He took over for Sam Pittman, who happens to be Georgia's first opponent against Arkansas. So um, he's the head coach there now. But, you know, the the offensive scheme system, uh, schemes that you've got flooding into that uh, room now with Munkin and then Matt Luke, who he's a disciple of, you know, working with David Cutcliffe. So you've got some in Rich Rodriguez and Hugh Freeze. You've got some different um, you've got some different philosophies coming in. All of that with a couple of you know a, a fully stocked roster as far as talent goes yeah some unprovens um but you've got four returning guys on the offensive line that have all played at least started at least two games and of that you know you've got a few guys who've started you know 10 plus games You got three guys have done that so uh that's big obviously talking point is going to be jamie newman um and also jt daniels they've got two transfer quarterbacks two of the top three transfer quarterbacks coming in this offseason the favorite probably going to be jamie newman because he's 100 healthy jt daniels still hasn't been fully cleared um he's cleared to practice but he's not fully cleared for contact which obviously you don't contact in practice so that's where he is right now um yeah so i mean you're you're replacing one of the best running backs you've had in school history, and that says a lot at Georgia with how many great running backs they've had. DeAndre Swift's gone. Enter Zemir White, former number one overall running back, five-star. I mean, you know, this team's super, super talented. We really expect them to do really well this year. Um, You know, they've got Bama on the schedule. they got a couple of tough games, you know, on the schedule as is. Uh, What do you think, Jacob?
0: This year especially, and I won't take credit for this, Tom Fernelli, CBS Sports, has said this, and it just rings true. I think because of the lack of fans in stadiums, even if it's at a limited capacity, no one's going into hostile environments, that favorites are going to win a lot more games than usual this year. And so the teams that have the best talent are going to win games. And Georgia right now has the best talent in the SEC East, and it's not close. Right? Like It's not close at all. And so and really compared to the rest of the country, there's three teams who have significantly more talent than everybody else. That's Alabama one, Georgia, two, Ohio State three. If you look at the blue chip ratio, those two those three teams have eighty-three percent of that's the percentage of four and five stars on the roster. The percentage of the total roster that is four and five stars. So for Alabama, that's eighty three percent. For Georgia, that's eighty two percent. For Ohio State, it's eighty percent. The next highest team is at sixty four percent. So there is a large talent gap between those three teams and really the rest of the country, right? Including their, including Florida. So number one, Georgia's more talented. So do they have a lot of bodies to replace on offense? Yes, but my, you know, playing devil's advocate there is e- the offense, even if it is the same as it was last year, which again the offense was a liability last year. It right. wasn't like a, the strength of the team. The strength of the team was the defense. And as you've talked about, that defense returned to everybody. I think the best player Georgia lost last year was J.R. Reed. And you are you know, you arguably get an upgrade talent wise right. with Lewis Seen coming in. And Lewis Seen played over two hundred snaps last year on defense. He was a true freshman. He's a true sophomore now. Him and Richard LeCount arguably could be the best safety duo in the SEC next year. Um I don't know I mean, who's arguing
1: with you. That's that's the best
0: safety duo. In the I mean, this team is so talented. And then, like you said, Jamie Newman and JT Daniels replacing Jake Fromm, that is the best-case scenario for Georgia. You lose your three-year starter who started as a true freshman, and you replace them with two guys who have started at Power 5 conferences with experience. So you're not having to rely on a redshirt freshman or a true freshman to come take over your offense. You bring in Todd Munkin, and an offensive coordinator – You know, people complained last year that Kirby Smart didn't want to change the offense, wanted to play this, you know, the old Alabama ball where you have a great defense, do just enough on offense to win championships. Well, that doesn't work anymore. So what did Kirby Smart do? He brings in an air raid offense with Todd Munkin, which we haven't seen yet, to be fair. But again, if the offense was the strength of the team last year, I'd be a little bit more worried about Georgia relying on the unknown with the offense. But because the strength of that team is the defense – and they went 11-1, and one. you know, everyone got killed by LSU last year, including Georgia, and then to get, you know, go win the Sugar Bowl, win 12 games last year, purely based on that defense. This defense is going to be better this year, but the stats might not be as good because the offense is, you know, they're going to be on the field more because the offense, hopefully, will score more points. So, for that reason, Georgia 9-1, and winning the SEC East for the fourth year in a row, going to Atlanta to for the, you know, for a chance to get into the college football playoff, the same position they have been four years in a row. And they're, again, the problem the last two years was the offense wasn't enough. And Kirby at least has made in the off season, a move to say, I know the offense wasn't enough and I'm going to try and fix it. So jury's out on how good the offense will be. But with the talent that they've stocked up in the wide receiver room, again, another problem from last year. They replaced their three-year starter quarterback with two starting quarterbacks. I mean, sky's the limit for Georgia. And so I fully expect Georgia to be competing for a national championship this year, as they should be with a team as talented as they are, which brings us to Florida. Again, from everything we just said, I, I don't understand the argument for Florida closing the gap. I mean, I understand that Florida got better last year. But they didn't close the gap with Georgia last year, which is why we ha- we still have high expectations for Florida, but the gap is still wide between Georgia and Florida. I mean, what are your thoughts on
1: Florida? Well, yeah, so I um, put my personal feelings for Florida aside so I can be a you know unbiased analyst for a few minutes. Um, but I do think that Florida has, you know, they, they have returning talent. And that's why, you know, especially quarterback people will like to point to that and be one of their main talking points on why they're going to pick them over say a Georgia or just in general, pick them in the sec East and Florida's got the reputation of being a really good team. Um, you know, and, and Mullen's got a reputation of being a good coach. Now he's, he's a good coach by all accounts. Is is he a great coach? I'm not sure. Is he a developer of talent? I think so. I mean, it looked like last year he had three quarterbacks that were ready to play, you know, during the season when called upon, Uh, obviously, uh Felipe Franks who's now no longer there but Kyle Trask and Emory Jones they all seem like they're ready for the big show. Um so he's a developer of quarterbacks. Uh he's always the do less uh, do more with less kind of a coach. Uh he is at a program now where more is expected on the recruiting trail. So we're not necessarily grading them as a whole program, you know, going forward like do I think that they're going to close on some recruits this year? I really don't. He's really having to go but he's he's making adjustments. Look what he did. He went to the transfer portal. So he got some former five-stars. He, he got former five-star from Georgia, Britton Cox, on the defensive line last year. And he redshirted last year. He didn't get his waiver. He's going to play this year. So he's an impact player, especially after losing Jabari Zaniga and um,
0: Jonathan Grenard.
1: Jonathan Grenard. I was going to call him Greenwood. Thank you for saving me. Um, <laughs> so that's that's one spot. Receiver, they bring in Justin Shorter from Penn State, former five star, mm-hmm. all world as far as talent, but he hasn't put anything on the field yet. Can Mullen develop him? And then in the backfield, Lorenzo Lingard out of Miami, he was a five star. He's transferring. He really never got off the ground. He had some injuries in Miami. The offense didn't really work for him, and they were changing offensive schemes. So it just made sense for him to get out of there. Um, and then you put that with Damian Pierce, uh, pride of Bainbridge High School. Formerly Kirby Smart, um, Damian Pierce is probably their starting running back to pair with Lingard. They return their offensive line uh, four out of five, excuse me, three out of five offensive linemen. I don't know how great they're going, how good they're going to be on the offensive line, but if they can run the ball at all, it'll be an improvement over last year. So that's one thing I know. Kyle Trask is going to be the best game manager you can be. Um, you know he's he's got a good powerful arm drive the ball down the field. Is he just too vanilla overall? Will he you know is he enough to win you games or you just not lose because of him? I don't know. And then you know like I said defensively they've got a they've got a few players here and there Marco Wilson of note, Caieri uh, Lam both in the secondary. Uh, so we'll see we'll see how things go back there in the defensive backfield. Um, you know, because they are one of one of the teams that claims the title DBU. Um, we'll see if they can keep that going. But um, and then w- one player that they do have coming in, that I am excited about as far as the recruits go. Gervon Dexter, uh, defensive tackle. He's a five star, so he's going to be good. They're going to have a good team. Um, are they going to be enough to overtake Georgia? Not sure about that, but they might be the best of the rest in the East, which is what we're picking.
0: And an eight and two would be best of the rest. So losses to Georgia and LSU is what we're thinking, which we'll get to LSU next week. Um, yeah, Florida, to me, it it really is going to rest on Kyle Trask. And before I talk about the offense, let's talk about the defense. Their defense is going to be legit. Like th- this is going to look like the Florida of old when Mullen was the offensive coordinator, where – really legit defense post Tebow, but like really legit defense and like the offense is kind of there. And that's why this, the ceiling really rests on all facets of the offense. So like, does the offensive line step up? Like they return three out of five, but pro football focus ranks their offensive line as 68th in the country, like rushing, they rank Florida 102nd in the country. So they replaced the running backs. They lost with previous five-star talent. Well, you know, will that come to fruition? We'll see. Receivers, the ceiling is really high for the receivers. Again, we haven't seen it yet, but the talent is there. Kyle Trask, the big question mark for me there is he ranked uh, 126th in the country last year and turnover-worthy plays. While he didn't commit a lot of turnovers, that ranks like turnovers that should have been committed that he got out of via either dropped interceptions or the receivers made a great play. Basically, his accuracy for turnover-worthy plays ranked fourth last in the country. So, Can I
1: think back what I said about that game manager thing. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah, that's going to be a problem <laughs> if right. he does that, especially with a schedule where you take off some of these FCS teams and you add two more SEC teams to that. So the defense is going to be legit though, and that's, that's why I think they're good enough to go eight and two, even if Trask isn't. Amazing. I think their ceiling is nine and one. Yeah. Like I, I really do think that they have a high ceiling. I just don't think they can like the gaps to big with Georgia. I mean, even if they come within a touchdown, I think that gap is at least a touchdown right now. And so the secondary is going to be legit. Like you said, Marco Wilson and Camille Lam are two great defensive backs. I mean, their, their safeties are probably the second best safety duo in the, in the sec with Donovan Steiner and Sean Davis. So their defensive backfield will be great this year. You know, as, as it has been for years now at Florida. Um, defensive line, like you said, bringing in Dexter, a five-star. Britton Cox is eligible this year. So you lose two big guys on your defensive line and replace them with equal talent, um, just unproven talent. And so I think Mullen did a good job of going to the transfer portal and recruiting the spots he needed to replace the talent he lost this year in the offseason. It's a lot of question marks. And so it, it's enough for me to say 8-2 and two and be confident that – Florida's going to win seven or eight games and I'll lean eight. But it's not, you know, too many question marks for me to say they're going to overtake Georgia in 2020. For that, I'm going to need to see Mullen be a lot better on the recruiting trail so that the talent gap isn't as wide.
1: Well, and one other quick note, I mean, you know, just with the nature of this season, coronavirus, yada, 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 we're going to talk a little, very little about that because we're ready for some football. But, one of the things that's going to happen is opt-outs, and you've started to hear a little bit with Florida. Their top three receivers are potentially opting out of the season. They've not shown up to practice thus far, and there's been some, or they've they've shown up to a couple practices, but not all of them. And it's 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 really kind of um, it's difficult to understand what's going on when you you hear Mullen speak about it. Uh, but yeah, Jacob Cope, uh, excuse me, Jacob Copeland, uh, Kadarius Tony, and Trevon Grimes have all collectively been absent from majority of the practices. I think they may have shown up to one or two. Um, and they've kind of put it out there that they're going to potentially opt out. And that's the word so, kind of amor- – I'll say
0: Grimes put on Twitter that he was 110% playing this year. He's the only one I've seen, though.
1: Okay. <laughs> well, no, that's good for them then because it was – I mean, you know, we, you know, Georgia last year didn't return – their starters or anything like that and then they lost Jeremiah Holloman right before the season and it really turned the tide on them as Mm -hmm. far as returning production at the receiver position and that's a big deal obviously they still have all SEC potentially all-American tight end and Kyle Pitts but you know as far as that outside receiver that's something to keep an eye on for the
0: Gators yeah absolutely it'll it'll be something to keep an eye on for a lot of these teams, I mean, th- these picks can be way off if, a, if the right players or the wrong players opt out. Right. Um, well, let's get a third in the SEC East. And th- this really is, we had to kind of really sift through and see who is the third best team for 2020. I think long-term, the third best team is Tennessee. Maybe. I mean, but I mean, the, the team we're picking this year is Kentucky. Yeah. And... Maybe Kentucky has just, you know, really got underrated for a long time, and maybe long-term they will be better. You know, talent-wise, Tennessee is out recruiting them right now. But, um, I mean, Kentucky, two years ago, they're sitting playing for an SEC East championship game against Georgia. I mean, last year, last year, how impressive was it for Eddie Grant that offense, to take a receiver and basically run the option when every team knew exactly what was going to happen and what as many games as they did? So... Really impressed with the job that Mark Stoops has done it with Kentucky, and we're picking to be third in the East this year.
1: Yeah, this is, um, you know, one of the, the stats that you and I love to look at is returning like, you know, graded players with pro football focus and, mm-hmm. you know, kind of that line of demarcation is the grade of 70 overall. That usually, you know, denotes a, a, a talented and good player um, if they grade over 70 for the whole year. Um, The returning players in the SEC, over 70 grade, Um, Georgia had 21. And so that's obviously why we're high on the dogs. Um, Alabama was second with 15. Tied for second with 15 is Kentucky. So that's one of the reasons we're picking them is not only just returning production, but returning, you know, good production. These guys were playing really well, playing really good ball, and they're back. A lot of that's going to be on the offensive line. They've got four out of five starters back, and these guys are maulers. This might be the best offensive – this is probably the best offensive line unit returning in the
0: SEC. Then uh, we're Alabama.
1: Yeah, I mean, but Alabama has more talent. Uh, this right, is, right, a, right. I, I would say, more collective group. You know, you can kind of word things however you want to get your point across, right. which is what I'm doing um, for Kentucky. But <laughs> no, 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 But if nothing else, they're a top three – in the SEC and offensive line, um, that's fair to say overall. But maybe the best unit coming back altogether, um, and they finally get a quarterback to play. You know, Lord willing for their case that he doesn't get hurt. But uh, Terry Wilson, uh, he was injured last year, and that's what you know led to them going Sawyer Smith, who he got hurt, and then they went to Lynn Bowden, their primary receiver, moving the quarterback. So Terry Wilson back to run this offense for his fifth year senior year. Uh, we'll see how this goes, but you got to think a lot of positives. Actually, having a quarterback behind, you know, under center for them with all this returning production. Um, a little footnote: Joey Gatewood, if he gets cleared or you know whatever clears up for him, um, he becomes eligible. We still haven't heard back yet, but he could be, you know, a game changer. He's a transfer from Auburn, former four-star, big kid. You know, he's uh, he scored some touchdowns for Auburn um as a, as a runner but you know this team is a good team uh overall uh really you know interested to see if uh, a rose in the backfield can kind of pick up where he left off last year um he was the primary running back but he was the second leading rusher obviously lynn bowden led the team in rushing as the quarterback um as that kind of wildcat you know option quarterback that they they had so um interested to see how this goes for them but, uh, you know, all, all indications are that they're going to have, you know, a good season, especially for Kentucky. Mark Stoops, very quality coach.
0: Great coach. And Kentucky, I mean, third team in a row that I'm saying is going to be legit on defense. Yeah. And, I mean, their secondary is going to be really, really great. Their defensive line is going to be great. They return to edge rusher, uh, Jamar Watson, who – Is just, I mean, great off the edge, especially in the pass rush. Like you said, their offensive line, I mean, starting with Darian Kennard, one of the best offensive tackles in the country. Um, And they're going to be great. My my question marks with Kentucky is going to be, like, the offensive line's great. They have a great rushing attack. You know, Terry Wilson isn't that great of a passer Right. he passed the ball. But then on top of that, the receivers. Like, they don't have great receivers at Kentucky. So I almost wonder, you know, will we see Kentucky just run the ball a lot more moving forward? Because I think they found success in that last year. And I think because they saw, you know, they saw themselves flex and be successful last year, uh, you know, if the passing stuff doesn't work, you know, if going back to the normal offense doesn't work, we could see them shift to a, you know, a more running offense, even with Terry Wilson, because he has great legs. And so that's where I put a little bit of faith in the offense, where I saw what they did last year when crap at the fan, they were able to flex and be super successful. You know, we're, we're saying six and four for Kentucky. And it's really just based on that schedule. I mean, out of the SEC West, they get Auburn, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and Alabama. So, I mean, Ole Miss and Mississippi State, I think are in that group of teams that Kentucky is in. And I think they beat both of them. They get them early in the season. They get Auburn game one. I think that's going to be the game of the week in the hey, SEC.
1: Dogfight. Yeah, that's a good
0: one. 100%. Like, Auburn doesn't want that game game one. No, like, no. they want to play Kentucky game one. Nobody does. And so, I, I, I'm high in Kentucky. And, I mean, so, I mean, lots of stuff. So, they're going to lose to the teams they should. Florida, right. Alabama, Georgia, Auburn. And they're going to beat everybody else. And so, could they sneak up and beat one of the top teams? Absolutely. I mean, I'm looking at Georgia and saying, "All right, who plays Kentucky after a, a tough game. game? Yeah, yeah. Kentucky gets Georgia the week after Georgia plays Alabama. So, I mean, that could be a trap game for Georgia, and they very well could beat one of these teams. They could beat Auburn in week one. Like, I, I, I'm that high on them where I'm like, they can beat one of these top teams. Yeah. I just don't. Their know. ceiling
1: is definitely beating one of those teams for sure.
0: Absolutely. But in 2020, with you know, with this season, they're just not as talented enough to do that but they're good enough to beat tennessee <laughs> we have right. finishing fourth in the secs i mean what, what are your thoughts on the Vols? well
1: so you know obviously they started slow last year with loss to georgia state and uh byu and then they finished the year on a tear and then they led that into the offseason with some recruiting and you know pruitt has always been a recruiter for you know and then he's he he's got just a ton of you know, quality coaches and recruiters on this, um, on this staff. So that's the first thing. One of the things I'm going to talk about is their offensive line. Obviously how, how, you know, the talent they have coming back, um, even without Cade Mays, which Cade Mays, you know, he transferred from Georgia. Um, he's from Knoxville. And so he transferred back. His little brother is, a, a freshman there now. And so his plan was to go back home and play. He didn't get cleared. They are appealing it. So we're not sure if, you know, the final decision necessarily. But as of right now, Cade Mays is ineligible. He's a, you know, he played tackle and guard last year for Georgia. I think he played center too. Um, But he was projected as one of the guards. So that offensive line though at Tennessee, man, they've got two bookend tackles that are both five stars and were both freshmen last year. So that alone, you know, they grew up as the season went along. And then now you've got both of them as sophomores you expect a sophomore leap where they're going to start to, um, you know, really not be liabilities and not, you know, it, it won't be a surprise for them to play good. They're going to be some of the best in the conference, especially best pairs of tackles. They're going to be one of the best pairs of tackles in the conference. Now, uh, they also have Trey Smith, uh, you know, coming back, maybe the single best offensive lineman in the conference um, at left guard. And then um, you know, Brandon Kennedy, the transfer from Alabama, he transferred there last year, started all, the whole season. He's a, actually a sixth-year senior, I believe, the way it all worked out with, like, a medical redshirt or something. So he's um, he's starting at center for them. So four out of the five offens- – actually, five out of five offensive line are returning. I was going to say four out of five. But Cade Mays wasn't even on the offensive line last year, and they returned their other starter, uh, Jerome Carvin. But, you know – Hold that spot for Cade Mays if he ends up coming back, which he was a five-star. So they could legitimately have four former five-stars starting on the offensive line with a, you know, a low four-star as their center who was recruited and played at Alabama. So, you know, solid team there. Um, Defensively, Aubrey Solomon has been great. You know, he he transferred last year, and he came from Michigan. He's a former five-star on the defensive line, and he did not get cleared to play last year. So, um Tennessee's got some bad luck with this, but he's eligible this year and I'm sure he's pissed off and he's ready to play. So, I think Aubrey Solomon's going to have a big year for them on the defensive line. Um and then obviously their linebacker Henry Toyo Oto, um he was a five-star sure. recruit coming in. Um you hear a theme going. I mean, they really do recruit like crazy. And he started every game last year as a true freshman. He was down to Tennessee and Alabama when he made his decision. So that tells you the caliber of player he is. So is a big coup for them. He's going to be a defensive leader for them this year. And then, yeah, I mean, the, the question is going to come down to who's playing quarterback. You know, you got Jarrett Garantano, who, you know, is – it's it, he he's talented. Well, he put it all together. Um you got another guy who played last year, Brian Maurer, and then the true freshman Harrison Bailey, of nearby to us Marietta High School, um, quality four-star quarterback coming in. You know, but in a year like this, is a freshman going to beat out a senior? Or you know, I, I just don't think so. But you know, over the course of the season, maybe. I mean, I don't know. You know, it's gonna. That's what it's really going to come down to for me. Um, if who's going to play quarterback and are they going to be able to do enough? Um, yeah,
0: that's where we're at. That's, that's exactly the point I was going to make is quarterback is going to have a lot to do with how Tennessee does this year because Garantano has been inconsistent and he has shown moments of greatness, but he's shown a lot of moments of playing poorly, especially against good teams. I mean, he fought against Georgia last year. Brett Maurer comes in and because Garantano wasn't getting it done. I mean, Alabama last year, they had that game won if he had not called his own number and try to run it into the end zone, you know, and a 99-yard scoop and score later, and that game's way out of reach. So, Garantano's inconsistent play is what holds me back with Tennessee. Their offensive line is going to be unbelievable. Um, their rushing attack should be halfway decent. I mean, their defensive backs are going to be great. And that's an effect Pruitt's had. Pruitt is a great defensive back coach. Right. So, Sean Schamberger and Bryce Thompson – two great defensive backs. I mean, Jalen McCullough at safety, he'll be great in the defensive backfield. So and that's key for a lot of these teams because as we've seen, offenses are ramping up to these air raid style. Everyone's passing more. So you've got to have defensive backs who can cover one-on-one or play really well in zone. And they've got that in the defensive backfield. They're doing what they need to on the recruiting trail. But like you said, a lot of their talent is so young that this year, like, is it going to be good enough? And especially with their schedule, I don't think it's going to be good enough. I mean, Tennessee's the team that I'm picking, honestly, long-term. They are a threat to Florida to taking over that second spot in the SEC East and playing catch-up with Georgia. They are a bigger threat right now because of the way they've recruited. But for this year, I mean, on their schedule from the West, they draw Alabama, Texas A&M, Auburn, and then Arkansas. It's a bad year to draw teams that are more talented than you from the SEC West. I mean, I know they want to beat Alabama, and they were close last year, but this year is not the year. They plucked Texas A&M and Auburn back-to-back. I mean, you know, they start the season with South Carolina, which is going to be a really good football game. Then they, they'll go beat Missouri. But then they've got Georgia, Kentucky, and Alabama back-to-back-to-back. Their schedule doesn't line up. It's, it's not an easy schedule. And for that reason, we're picking Tennessee to go 4-6. and six. So, I think Tennessee will be better than they were last year. It's just the schedule got a lot more difficult than it was last year. And so, you know, if if this were a normal season, I mean, I picked Tennessee this year probably to go. You know, previously I picked eight and four, and that was with Oklahoma on the schedule. So, you're talking about going, what is that? Five and three in the SEC and but again their schedule got more difficult so we're picking four and six in the all sec schedule but long term i do believe in tennessee especially because i think harrison bailey will be the guy he's going to be their quarterback moving forward and so as he grows into the system a year maybe he takes over this year that's very possible yeah um and then he'll be the starter going the next season so after tennessee man south carolina and i'll be honest i went into this season wanting to believe in south carolina because i mean mainly because of mike bobo yeah you you and i love mike bobo i mean what he did with you know as an offensive coordinator at georgia i mean the numbers speak for themselves he averaged over 40 points a game you know he had a great quarterback but i mean they don't they didn't have the players at georgia that they have now and he's averaging over 40 points a game he had some fun offense with aaron murray i mean he knows how to coach an offense and his scheme is simple makes it really simple for the players yep and so a great hire by Will Muschamp, but again, just like Tennessee, this schedule is just brutal for South Carolina. But what are your thoughts on the Gamecocks?
1: Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> you and I have talked about this, and this staff that they've put together at South Carolina. I mean, it, another quality staff. If you put this staff with you know this team in the early you know 2010s, I mean, I think in that in that setting, they're very good but unfortunately there's a vacuum of you know <laughs> it there, there's only there's only there's only so many big dogs that can be out there and unfortunately for Tennessee or for excuse me for South Carolina that's just there's just not one of them um you know Will Muschamp's done a really good job recruiting especially to South Carolina um but it's just one of these things where um, unfortunately the the teams that are, that are compared up against they're just not favorable you know with yeah i mean they beat georgia last year in that one game scenario but the rest of their season wasn't very good i mean they finished four, and four eight at all so you know you do have that crowning achievement beating georgia and that's the type of team they are they can do that this year to anybody on their schedule i really believe that if they catch them on the right day and every you know they have enough talent to, if they play their best game you know they could potentially put down a big dog like that but you know, it got a lot harder over the weekend um, when we learned that, or over last week when we learned that Marshawn Lloyd, their you know star running back coming in as a freshman, uh, suffered an ACL tear um, in practice and is is going to miss the season. Um, it really sucks because you know they lost. They had Tavian Feaster last year. He was a former five star who had transferred in from Clemson of all places. Uh, and then they also had Rico Dowdle um, and Mon Denson. Uh, just uh, – they had a backfield, you know, that they, they rotated three, got three, four guys. Then the next guy was Kevin Harris. And so he's back, but he was supposed to be the backup to Marshawn Lloyd. There was that – I'm going to use the word again, vacuum. There was this opening for him to just walk right in. Basically, and be the feature back, which was a great situation for Marshawn Lloyd. Unfortunately, he got hurt. So – where are we at now you're going to have kind of a, you know, a running back by committee and none of them are really going to be a really talented sec back. They're going to be kind of, you know, making chicken salad over some, I don't know, chicken crap. (laughs) So anyways, but defensively, you know, they've got six starters coming back and you add Jordan Birch who I think is the best, if not the best recruit that they've ever signed. Um, outside of jadevion Clowney, i mean he's he's right there he's a five-star all everything defensive he's called defensive end and defensive tackle it really depends on what you project him as i mean he's like an all-world three tech coming in and then his his high school teammate alex huntley also coming in both of them from columbia south carolina so hometown kids excuse me both of them coming in from the hammond school which is where will muschamp's son was the quarterback um and so they are both coming in, and that's kind of a, a theme. champ, because his son was there, he was able to un- have unlimited recruiting access to them because he's coming to watch his son's games. That's one of those little loopholes there. But not get to get in the weeds. They, they are both big-time, big-time players coming in on the defensive line. Um, and basically the back seven is where most of the players coming back for the Gamecocks are. Uh, that linebackers, cornerback safeties. So, I mean, you bring in this kind of infuse of talent on the defensive line. I mean, they could really stop some folks um, defensively. And Helensky at quarterback. I mean, when he was healthy last year, he played really well. And I am excited to see what Bobo does with Helensky um, as his quarterback. I think he's going to do a lot with him. I think he's going to up his game he's going to make things easier for him to understand um he's going to keep him more protected than he was last year he got beat up last year which is what led to his injury so i'm excited to see Helenski in this offense unfortunately i don't think they're going to have the running attack to bounce it out so i do think that there's going to be some games where they're completely one-dimensional and because of that they're they're not going to be successful in the win-loss column unfortunately but a uh, fun team and definitely a bright future, but it's kind of where we have them this year.
0: The strength of South Carolina this year is going to be in the defensive backfield and they've got two lockdown corners. I mean, Israel, is it Mukuamu? Yep. Uh, that's what I was going to guess. Mukuamu. Sorry, Israel. Yep. If I said that wrong, but I mean, this is the guy who had three interceptions versus Georgia last year. He's a super physical defensive back. I mean, Really remind you of Stephon Gilmore, who also came from South Carolina. Just, just a lockdown corner. He'll be one of the best corners in the SEC this year. Yep. And then J.C. Horn also. So two lockdown corners on the outside. I mean, a great safety in Jamie Robinson. A great linebacker in Ernest Jones. So the defense is going to be great. We, we all know Muschamp's a great defensive coach. He's gotten good recruits there. The defensive line has to replace Ken Law. But like you said, you bring in an all-world talent in Jordan Burch. He should fill that you know, fill the gap in the defensive line just fine. Even if he's not in that, you know, nose technique that Ken Law was. Um, but, yeah, the the offense, I, I, I like to hope is going to be better because I believe in Mike Bobo. And as you talked about, I, I think Mike Bobo is going to have a really positive influence on Ryan Helenski. I just, like, man, I look at Mike Bobo, excuse me, I look at Will Muschamp and his coaching record in, like, the roles he's had to fill. And he's had to follow two legendary coaches in both of his head coaching tenure. I mean, he comes into Florida after following Urban Meyer. Right? And so some of these numbers are going to be unfair. So I'm giving context. He followed Urban, all right? But Florida got worse when Will Muschamp was their head coach. His first year was 7 and 6, you know, they they went 11 to 2. And then 2013 and 14, they went four and eight and six and five. Jim McElwain comes in the next two years, wins the SEC East. So, I mean, for what it's worth, you know, same team. <laughs> and South Carolina, he follows Steve Spurrier, and he's gone six and seven, nine and four, 2017, seven and six, four and eight. Some I mean, you know, I, I'm just looking at these numbers and. There's no rhyme or reason. There's no consistency. There's no trending up. There's no trending down. It's just kinda it's just kinda random. And so in a season where I'm trusting what I know and what I see, South Carolina is not something that I know and have seen be successful. And so in a you know, in a season where their schedule is brutal, we're picking to go three and seven and wins against Vanderbilt. We're actually picking to win an upset game, which we can talk about next episode. Um we're picking to be the big team, like we, we talked about. They're, they're that kind of team who can go four and eight but beat Georgia. Um, you know, ones against Missouri and Vanderbilt. We're picking to win a big game, but as I'm looking at them compared to Tennessee, Florida, Auburn, LSU, A&M, Ole Miss, Georgia, Kentucky, I, did, I look, you know, I look on paper and I'm just not picking South Carolina to win those games. So, man, I, I would hate for much Champ to lose his job because of this season. I think yeah. that's unfair. And, you know, if, if I'm South Carolina, I'm giving him – give Mike Bobo a normal year because yeah. this, is the, this is the best offensive coordinator that Will Buschamp has had ever as a head coach. So, um, yeah, this is like, a rough year for South Carolina. And if you think South Carolina is going to have a rough year, just wait till we talk about Missouri and Vanderbilt.
1: <laughs> One more quick point about South Carolina is um, – <clears throat> and just a footnote, y'all keep an eye out for Josh Van at uh, receiver. Um he because a couple they they lost Brian Edwards and you know a couple other receivers, he's gonna him and Shy Smith are gonna kind of be the two main receivers this year. Um especially in this Bobo offense. Van could really flourish. He was a former four star and he was a highly rated four star on the verge of a five star by the time signing day came around. He's been kind of buried on the depth chart and he dealt some injuries He's a junior this year, so expect a big bump as far as his production goes. And then I don't know if he'd go pro after just having one good year. Look at next year with Helensky being a junior next year, Marshawn Lloyd being fully healthy, and then you've got Josh Van as a senior next year with another year of, you know, full offseason of Bobo and having a normal offseason. Keep a just put a little, you know, a footnote there for you know, South Carolina next year really challenging being one of those those next teams where they're not gonna they're not gonna be a bottom dweller for long. That's what the point is, unless they make a move and you know go back to the drawing board. But anyways
0: Yeah, no you're right. Um Missouri, year one of Eli Drinkwitz this is a rough year to be a first year head coach. <laughs> yeah. This is a really rough year to be a first year head coach. I mean, you think South Carolina's schedule is difficult. Look at Missouri's schedule. <laughs> I mean, they're playing the top two teams from the West, in Alabama and LSU. they got to play the top teams in the SEC East, too. And, I mean, they play Arkansas. That's not a guaranteed win in my mind right. uh, at all. So, Mississippi State, not a guaranteed win. Um, I mean, man, they they got to replace a lot what are your thoughts on missouri so
1: not super high on missouri uh, for a few reasons drinkowitz he's really gonna have to, to prove it for me to believe in him because he really you know he was at app state he was the offensive coordinator under satterfield satterfield gets the job at louisville last year drinkowitz takes over with most of the same players, same quarterback, you know, they just kind of kept the train rolling. Basically he didn't crash it, and there was some continuity there, and so they had a good season. You know, how much of that is actually him versus the program, the players, the infrastructure that was already set up? So he gets kind of a a nice little offer to go into the SEC after just one year as a head coach, um, and you know, I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure if he's quite on the level of Barry Odom, to be honest, the guy that they fired. Um, I like some of the other coaches that were hired in the SEC over him. As far as this team goes, I mean, they do return seven on the defensive uh, side of the ball. They return four starters on offense. Um, this just doesn't feel the same that it has in years past where you have a couple of, you know, big time pass rushers. Uh, that you expect to be in the NFL soon. Um, Missouri's kind of been a, a, a launching point for them for the past, you know, decade almost it seems like. And then they don't have like the they they've been having these studs at receiver um, at least one a year for the past several years, and they don't have any of those guys coming back. So could be could be a, a rough year for them. They do bring in TCU transfer Sean Robinson at quarterback. Um, so he's likely going to be the starter, obviously Kelly Bryant, the former Clemson transfer, he was a senior last year. He has gone. Um, they played Taylor Powell a little bit as a freshman last year. He's a sophomore. He's going to probably be the backup, but yeah, I don't, I don't know how much, uh, I don't really know what to expect, um, from them. Um, if, if I was putting money on it, I think they're going to be one of the worst teams, in the SEC, um, especially you know the SEC East, obviously uh, we have them down towards the bottom. So uh, not a lot of expectations. We've mentioned it a few times with these first-year head coaches, year zero. Um, I think it's it's more true than ever for Missouri.
0: Missouri has a lot to replace on offense, but they're also changing systems. So Drinkwitz is bringing in this spread option, outside zone pistol. I mean. He was a quality control coach with Gus Malzahn at Auburn in 2010 and 2011, followed Gus to Arkansas State and was there with him for a couple of years, was in the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach at NC State, and then was hired at Appalachian State for one year where he went 12-1, and one, but that was his first year as a head coach, and that was following Scott Satterfield, building that program up to that level, and then handing him with a loaded roster, loaded system, like handed the keys to a Ferrari at App State, and he went twelve and one. He's not being handed the keys to a Ferrari at Missouri. I mean, not even close. Definitely and now he's in the SEC. Yep. So I think Drinkwitz is a good offensive coach. I think that this year that is going to hurt Missouri because it's we you know we've seen how hard it is to change systems, especially when you don't have the talent there to run that system. And so I expect a really rough year from Missouri. We're picking him to go one and nine. Uh, I don't know if I believe in Drinkwitz long term. He you know, he's been a head coach for one year. You know, he wasn't really a flashy offensive coordinator at NC State. So, I mean, their defensive line is gonna be good as it has been, you know, for a long time. They they got a pair of defensive linemen Whiteside white side and buyers that's gonna be really good, but their their defensive back play is gonna be subpart two. And so I, I just expect You know, as I'm counting up wins for other teams in the SEC, I'm counting up a lot of wins against Missouri, which if we're counting up a lot of wins against Missouri, we're counting up a plethora of wins against Vanderbilt. Poor Vanderbilt. (laughs) Poor Vandy. I mean, Uh, the sacrificial lamb of the SEC.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just, it is what it is with Vandy. I mean, they return 11 on defense for what it's worth. And Derek Mason, the head coach, is a defensive guy. So could they be good on that side of the ball? It's possible. You know, to quote JP from Angels in the Outfield, it could happen, but (laughs) I just don't think it will. Um, Offensively, you know, they were tough to watch last year. They've got five guys returning. Um, You know, Vanderbilt's built different in that they are more of a academic institution in the SEC. So, you know, they kind of know their role. Um, It's a special job. It's a difficult job. I love Derek Mason. I think the world of him. I think he's a fantastic defensive coach. I think he's an excellent man. Um, He said famously last year uh, after one of the games, you know, a lot of people think they want this job, but I'm built for this job. Um, you know, he's, that may be true this year more than ever, and, you know, his job might have been saved by the coronavirus for the sheer fact of if they do what we think they're going to do and go 0-10 in the SEC, Mm. um, he might not get fired. Um, I'm saying might because everything's out there, but Vanderbilt's been known to pinch the penny, and in a year where you're not, most likely you're not going to make as much as you've been making, um you know, uh, it's, it's one of these things where, you know, I mean, the ratings are probably going to be through the roof. If they play, you're going to have, you know, but as far as, you know, you know, uh, people attending games and all that kind of stuff, visiting crowds coming to your stadium, um, things like that for Vanderbilt. Um, they might not move on from him after this year because of the money situation. Um, but you know, and I think it'd be good for him for him to get another year, I don't really know who you can hire at Vanderbilt to turn things around, short of Steve Spurrier. Um, but, you know, I it is what it is. There's going to be doormats in this league and in an all-SEC schedule. You know, Jacob, you and I have talked about this. In an all-conference schedule, it's really going to be rough for a few teams that are going to rely on some of these non-conference wins Vanderbilt's at the top of that list, man. So they they might go 0 for the season.
0: Is Vanderbilt the hardest power five head coaching job?
1: I mean, you're in the premier football conference, and there's very little uh, peers, I would say, to them. Um, You know, for years, they may have counted on Kentucky to be that peer. And... Kentucky has obviously since upgraded and now it's like who, who's on their same level in the sec. So if you're in the toughest conference on in football and you're, you're looking up at everybody and you don't have all the resources, I mean, yeah, you're basically playing with one arm time behind your back.
0: And I mean, academics wise, best school in the sec. So getting in is a lot more difficult resources wise. I mean, you mentioned Kentucky, but I mean, there's a huge gap between—I don't know, maybe maybe Missouri. The gap's closer, but I mean, South Carolina up the teams we talked about, huge gap in yeah. resources, like huge gap. And Kentucky's so
1: got that basketball money coming in, they ain't going broke
0: anytime yeah. I mean, look at look at the upgrades to the shopping line at Kroger Field. Yeah, um, big
1: blue <laughs> nate, where you at?
0: <laughs> but I mean, I, I think it is the hardest, the hardest Power Five job. You know, again, like you said, given that you're in the SEC, you have the academic constraints, you have the resource constraints. James Franklin went nine and three at Vanderbilt. Yeah. That is the ceiling at Vanderbilt, and that should tell you how good of a head coach he is. It does. Like, I and mean, he's a freaking
1: their private school, so there's also no public speculation. None of us know how much Derek Mason even makes. You know, all those kinds of things, like little details like that, you don't know how much money they're coming in their private school. They don't have to announce any of that stuff. So, you know, it is different. It's just different there.
0: So, I mean, yeah, 0-10 for Vandy. He talked about it. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it. Sorry, Derek Mason. It's going to be a rough year. (laughs) But that's the SEC East. We went a long time on the SEC East. You can tell that one's been been building up. (laughs) We've been holding that one in.
1: I think there was a but, couple times where I didn't even take a breath, so sorry, guys.
0: I mean, to recap, SEC East, we're picking Georgia to go fourth year in a row. One of the SEC East to be back in Atlanta playing for the SEC Championship at 9-1, followed by Florida, Kentucky, Tennessee, South Carolina, Missouri, and then poor old Vanderbilt. So, hey, that'll do it for this edition. We got the SEC West on deck. I mean, can LSU repeat? Is this Texas AM's year? No. But we'll talk about it more. <laughs> we'll talk about it more uh, uh, next week with the SEC West. But that'll do it for this edition of The Extra Point. He is Daniel. I am Jacob.